0: Good morning, Cross Life. Um, It's good to be able to send out a message again. And uh, this week we're going to be in John 18 and 19. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and turn to John 18 and 19, that is what we're going to read. Like we're going to read this this morning. And while you're turning there, I just want to remind you that while we are in dispersion, While we are scattered as Cross Life Fort Smith, we are still Cross Life Fort Smith. We are still committed to praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another. We are still to to be there for one another. Acts 2.42 shows us that we should be devoted to one another and to God and to his teaching. And so that's what we're still going to do, though widely scattered. And I also want to encourage you in this, that none of this... Absolutely none of it is out of God's control. In God's sovereignty, he has not relinquished his control in this world. Now, we have a great mystery before us of how do we deal with the coronavirus? Why has it impacted the world the way that it does? What is God doing with this? And I, I want to humbly say and confidently say that we cannot figure out why god does what he does and we are not meant to figure out why he does what he does however what we have found is that whenever god has moved and we look back at the moment we can see how god's hand was in it and the good that he has done now whenever we say the good that he has done that does not mean that these are not hard moments It does not mean that they are not heartbreaking. It does not mean that they are not challenging. I don't mean it in any lighthearted, flippant way. I simply mean that we can trust God because in the moments of our lives which have seen the hardest, we can look back and see how God has always been with us still. That's all I'm saying. In the great mystery of this temporary moment in our life, one thing is true. Our God is with us and for us and holds all things together. So let's keep casting our anxieties and our worries on him. As the days move forward and as the pandemic spreads and as we're trying to calculate and figure out what do we do today, how do we uh, move wisely and yet cautiously, confidently and boldly, yet um, being careful, how do we do that? We keep our eyes on him. We remain resting in him and we trust the peace that he gives us with all of that said we're going to go ahead and we're going to move into scripture now we are jumping to john 18 and 19 and my goal is simply this i want to read these verses and i'm going to be reading out of the esv and you might be sitting there saying well can't we all just read this on our own and i would say absolutely Absolutely, people can just read John 18 and 19, but the question is, will we? Will we and do we read these things on our own and and think about them? Because John 18 and 19 aren't just chapters of John. Remember, there actually weren't chapter and verse numbers and breakdowns. It was just John's writing, and so now we've identified, hey, this is John 18 and John 19, but... We're going to pick up right here because in this, we, we have the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. And we have his walk to the cross. And we have his death and burial. And we can preach and spend so much time on so many other things. Why would we not just let Scripture just speak for itself right here? So that no matter who listens to this or when we listen to it, we can know that here is what Jesus did. That God has sent His Holy Spirit to us to live within us so that we can understand this more. But He also moved John to, to pin these words. And so we can trust these words and they are profitable for us. So today is a little bit different. It's not so much preaching and, and exposing a text, it's it's preaching through the reading of the text. So that we can see that this is our savior. This is our sacrifice who came in our place. So you can read along with me. And I'm just just confident enough that the simple reading and the simple um, opening of God's word will be so effectual. It will not return void. Let's pray. God, um, as we get ready to read John 18 and 19. Our hope as a church is not in clever preaching or, or wonderful points for life and, and deep application that we can, we can put on this one moment. Lord, our hope in our preaching at Cross Life is that Jesus is made much of, that your gospel is known and proclaimed, and that we understand what Scripture truly says. Lord, that what we preach is not the wisdom of man, but the clarity of Scripture. Lord God, thank you for this moment that we have to just look at your word and let your word be what it is. And Lord, I pray for all of Cross Life as we are scattered into different homes, which is wonderful to be with our family. And Lord, at parts, uh, across different parts of Fort Smith, though that is wonderful because that's where you've put us. But Lord, we are able to come together and be united in your word. Lord God, be with us. May your words be reach us. May your spirit, Lord, Lord, if your spirit would just awaken in us at the reading of your word, Lord, how powerful that is. Lord, be with us as we read your word and lean into it. Amen. So Cross off, we're going to be in John 18. I will be reading from the ESV. And again, your question could have been, well, if we're just going to read it, why not just have everybody read it on their own? And the truth is, because I feel like we should read this together. We we shouldn't rush through something, but we should read this together because we are to be like Christ and we are to look to Christ and we're to look to Jesus and, and we do not want to forget what Jesus did in his final hours. All of John has been saying that they could not arrest him, they could not take him, they could not capture him, quote, because his hour had not yet come. And now his hour has yet come. And this is what scripture tells us. This is, this is what he endures. <clears throat> John 18, one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. So church, keep holding on to that. He knows all that is going to happen to him in the coming chapters. He came forward and he said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, "I am He." Judas, who betrayed Him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, Judas said to them, "I am He." I'm sorry. When Jesus said to them, "I am He," they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, "Whom do you seek?" And they said, "Jesus of Nazareth." Jesus answered, "I told you that I am He. So if you seek Me, let these men go." This was to fulfill the word that He had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was a high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl said, The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I have said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by Jesus struck him with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas So just to pause real quick, cross life. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Judas would betray Jesus and how Jesus prophesied and predicted that Peter would betray him. And now we see both of their betrayals played out. Back into the text of John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them, and he said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Then the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what death he was going to die. Verse 33 says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Well, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, Pilate went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, then, Je- or then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, "Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement, in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Gogotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst." A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation... He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him on whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there and that cross life is where we're going to conclude our reading for today and I know what a what a dark, sad, tragic moment to leave on. Why not go into chapter twenty, where we get to to look at the resurrection and why not push on from the resurrection? further into the new testament where we see that jesus was not defeated but he was the defeater he was the victor he's the one who overcame why stop at this moment where they lay him in the tomb on well, church it's because of this it is so easy for us to want to hear the good news that we forget what jesus endured not doing it for dramatic effect I'm not doing it so that we will um, be be brought down and brought low, but I, I am doing it for this reason as pastor. We must never gloss over, must never forget that when Jesus died for us, it was no small, careless, incidental act. He knew. His time, He knew His purpose. He knew all things that He would endure. And enduring those things, He was pointing to the Father. But the road to Calvary, it actually was a victorious road. But it was also a road. It was also the path of one who would be beaten, who would be bloodied, who would be sacrificed, who would be crushed. And so then as we sit here and we we remember that He went to the cross and that He who knew no sin has become sin for us, the thing is, is that we want to always remember that this is what Christ chose. And He chose it because the God who gave us the law so that we could understand holiness and therefore, our need of a Savior is also the God who sent His Savior to redeem us from our sins. The Old Testament shows us over and over again that where there is sin, there must be a sacrifice. Where there is sin, there must be blood. This is no new thing in the New Testament. Christ came to fulfill all of Scripture and the Old Testament. And we see Him first prophesied about, first the first glimpse that Jesus, the reigning Messiah and King, would come. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, whenever God is telling the serpent that there will be one who will crush the serpent's head. And we see throughout the entire Old Testament with the sacrificial system that whenever man breaks God's law, there must be a sacrifice. But all of those are just a shadow of the one sacrifice who is at this point in Scripture, in John 18 and 19, hanging on the cross as a once and for all eternal sacrifice. We don't want to move past the significant moment, not of even his resurrection, but the significant moment of his death. He died a bloody, crushed, murderous death. And he knew he would. He knew all that he would endure. And Cross Life Fort Smith, we pause now at his death to reflect on what what a Savior. What a Savior that... While we were yet enemies is what we talked about last time in the sermon. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet betrayers, Christ died for the ungodly. As he's going through John 18 and 19, he is walking the path that you and I could have never walked. And he's dying the death that we could never die. But he is offering us up in his blood in righteousness that we could never earn. His death was necessary. It was the perfect plan of God. Even though we don't understand the mystery of that moment, we understand this, that his death was necessary. So we are going to stop in John 18 and 19 this week. As we approach this week, Good Friday, my prayer is that in our society and in our culture, we don't rush past the death of Christ. Christ but we pause at the death to see the cost of God. You know, I've said it um, many times, but in a scenario where, where there may be many, many in infected with a, an incurable disease, and my son has the antidote in his blood, and the doctors say we need the antidote. We need, we need His blood so that we can cure many and we can, we can release them from this, this affliction. But it will also not just be His blood, but it will cost His life for us to do this transfusion. I'm just telling you as a man, as a dad of three kids that God has blessed me with, I cannot imagine... The reality of giving up my son so that others may live. You can think what you want of me in that, but I'm just telling you the truth. A father's love for his child. And I cannot give up my son to save so many others. And yet I look at this moment and I I see Jesus fulfilling all of scripture and going to the cross for you and me so that we could sit in our scattered living rooms today throughout Fort Smith and with our families and proclaim the goodness and the security and the promises of God and everything that he has for us and how we're in his hand. And then yet there is this dark moment in history that he endured the cross so that we could be here today. So yeah, let's pause. But I'm speaking as a father here. And in that analogy, where they say, Ricky, he, the antidote is in his blood. And it will save everyone, but it will cost his life. I'm just telling you as a father, I couldn't do it. I could not give up my one son for the lives of others. My love is, is, is that deep for my children. And so here's where I'm going with that. If I, with a limited, finite love, can love my children so much, how much more must an infinite God of infinite love love an infinite son so much more? And so the sacrifice of the Father giving His Son on the cross so that His blood may cure and and redeem people from all times and places and nations and races. If my love so small feels so large to me and then that sacrifice on, on my part as a finite father, which seems so vast and deep, how much more must an infinite God who loves an infinite son with infinite love, how much more infinitely must it hurt to see that sacrifice laid on the altar? Cross life, Fort Smith. The message today is a message of let's pause and see the death of Christ and His willing sacrifice. Why? (laughs) For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible is about God and it points us to God. And as we look at God, And we look to God and we understand more about God. We understand that this holy, perfect, majestic, grand God loves his people. And he loves his people so much that he will shed his blood for them. So we have paused. Now next week, next week we follow it with the next chapters where we see The stone is rolled away. We see him resurrected. We see him overcoming. We see he is victorious. We see that our God is an unstoppable God and that the perfect sacrifice brings redemption and that God is honored in his death. And that is the message and the story and the proclamation of Easter. That's where we're going. And that brings us joy. But right now, I want to pray for us I want to pray for you that we, we don't rush past Jesus' sacrifice just to get to the promises. We see that Jesus fulfilled the promises of God, even in his death, and that we, we honor that. that. That is the gospel, that God came to redeem a sinful mankind, to bring a people back to Him. And that is also why cross life exists. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's why we get to pray together right now. And one day we'll assemble again. Lord God, we love you. I pray that, that you use these verses and this reality. Lord, not not to bring us down into dis, into depression and despondency, Lord, but to bring us to a moment where we we see the wages of our sins. The wages of our sin is death, a spiritual death for us, but death on the cross for Christ. There is a gravity there that my momentary sins cost Jesus his blood on the cross, a death. that that should have been meant for me. He stood in my place as a substitute. He died in my place. And Jesus, you are highly exalted. We see all throughout Revelation 4 and 5. I love the images where where John's standing in the great throne room. And God is, is beyond compare on the throne. And no one can approach the throne. And then Jesus, there you are standing as a lamb, though it had looked like it had been slain. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain on the throne. And all of heaven and creation cries out to you, holy, holy, holy are you. So God, I am saying, thank you. I don't understand this moment, really. It's... It's hard for me to wrap my head around it, honestly, no matter how many times I read it and think about your death and your crucifixion. I I can't always wrap my head around it, but, but I can wrap my head around that you did it out of love. Mankind's greatest need. Our greatest need is a Savior. And what you showed us in John 18 and 19 is the cost of the Savior. And what we will see next week in those scriptures is the reign of our Savior, the victory of our Savior. Lord, thank you for everyone who is a part of Cross Life Fort Smith. Thank you for those who are listening with us today. Lord, I just want to always honor you with the preaching and the reading of your word, because all of my words will fade and pass away, but these words, your scripture, will stand and they will do something that that I cannot, nor do I want to do. Lord, I pray that this word is planted in our hearts and it bears fruit in keeping with repentance. Lord, you are holy, you are mighty, and you are beautiful, and you are ours. We are yours. Amen.